0: Have you ever had fleas in your house? Yeah. You're clapping. That's Fleas are the worst. And I I mean, I want, we had them because we always had pets and stuff growing up, but cats and mostly cats. My mom was a cat person and and we'd get, it seemed like every year we'd get fleas and fleas are the worst and they're really hard to get over. You know, you can't get them out and then you you, you fumigate or, or we put those little, what are they, the bombs the that foggers or whatever in the house but those don't kill the eggs most of them don't anyway so then you got to wait and then when those hatch you got to do it again it's this whole process of getting rid of them and and I've learned that a single female flea can lay up to 50 eggs it's terrible they're demonic I think they (laughs) they crawled out of the pits of hell and into our lives but um and then but I mean, I don't know if you think like this, but they, they can jump like 150 times their body length. It's like standing in the parking lot up here and jumping over this building for us. Demonic, I'm telling you, it's crazy But that's what they're created. But I read this study about fleas, and they, they took a bunch of them, they put them in this jar, and of course, right at first, they, they were bouncing all over the place, bouncing off the, the lid and off the sides of the wall and, and all that. And then After three days, they started to notice something that they weren't, they were just kind of collectively staying in the middle of this jar. They weren't bouncing off the the lid anymore or off the walls anymore. They just kind of contained themselves. And then they took the lid off that jar and not a single flea jumped out. And they had been conditioned to learn the uh, limitations. And even when those limitations were removed, they still stayed there. This invisible barrier was keeping them there. And the same thing I read about a a study with sharks. They had a tank full of fish and they dropped some hungry sharks in there and they just went nuts. They did what sharks are created to do. They, They attacked these fish, devoured them, And they separated them again, did the same thing, but this time they separated, they put this clear plexiglass in between the fish and the shark. So when they first dropped the shark in there, it would bang its head against that that wall over and over and over. And then they'd remove them, put them back, and for about 12 weeks they would do this over and over and over. And then after a while they quit attacking that wall. They learned that there was a barrier there and even after they removed that barrier, the sharks didn't eat the fish. They had this invisible barrier in their mind, and it limited them to do what they were created to do. So you could take a flea, and, and it's, it's well, I don't know what it's created for, to be honest, but it, its potential is to jump really far, but then this barrier and this just banging its head over and over and over prevents it from doing what it's fully capable of doing, and the same thing with a shark. And we do the exact same thing. We have these beliefs, and, and we step out, and we try things, and it doesn't always work out. Anyone ever tries something and it didn't work out the way it's planned. Maybe it's a business, maybe you're stepping out, maybe you move somewhere, maybe I mean a number of different things. Maybe you were believing for a healing, and it didn't work out. And then rather than being persistent and keep keep uh, knowing that it's always God's will that you're well. it's always God's will that you're prosperous. It's always God's will that you're happy and fulfilled in life, but you just meet. Barrier after barrier, we can't allow those shortcomings to affect what we truly believe and keep us from living the life that we're created to live. we were never promised a trouble-free life. I, I don't know about you, but I, I don't know if I was ever told this, but I thought, man, if, I, if I'm just believing God, things are going to start to change in my life. And they do, but that doesn't mean that you're immune to difficulties. It doesn't mean that, that all the, just because God's will is that you are healed, it doesn't mean that you're not going to battle sickness every now and then. But now, knowing what you know, you're more equipped to handle it that way. I battle things that I know that I shouldn't have to battle anymore, but we're human. And that's just part of living this life sometimes. An ideal situation is that we are completely whole all the time, completely pr- prosperous. Lack of any kind is it holding us from our God-given purpose. That's, that's the potential. And the human experience is continuously moving toward that. And I don't think we're ever going to get the fullness of it, but I'm going to try and that's what I want for our church is to continuously know, at least understanding the heart of God in the middle of something so you can say, you know what, it didn't work out this time. I'm going to figure it out, and I'm going to do better next time. It's really that simple. We have a choice to look at every obstacle as defeat or an opportunity for growth. And so whenever I, if I do have to battle sickness or if I do battle something in this world that comes against me, I, I'm not going to allow it to just knock me down where I stay down. I'm not going to act like the flea or the shark, where just uh, whatever past experience that I have, it's, it's preventing me from living life to its fullest. We can't do that, because there's a number of reasons why bad things happen, and, and we don't really have to focus on that. We can focus on the one constant, that God is good, he's not behind our pain, and he's equipped us to handle these things. It says that in uh, John sixteen thirty three, this is the amplified uh, version. I've told you these things that in me, you may have perfect peace and confidence. In the world, you have tribulations and trials and distress and frustration. And I'm really happy it doesn't stop there because that's bad news. That's not, that's not exciting. That's not what we want to hear. But Jesus says you're gonna, these things are going to happen. But that's a big old but right there. But be of good cheer, take courage, be confident, certain, undaunted, for I have overcome the world. I have deprived it of power to harm you and have conquered it for you. Jesus has come and he's taken the world's abilities, deprived it of power to harm you. And the only reason the world is still harming us, it's not God's fault. There's only one other option here, right? It's not God's fault that the world's harming us. So whose fault would it be? Now, I know like uh, us, us Christians and us church people, we want to blame the devil for everything. But we know that there's a thief here that's come to steal, kill, and destroy. And that thief is right between our ears, our belief system. So it doesn't prevent us from, have, uh, from uh, experiencing some bad things. But it, understanding the heart of God changes how we approach these things. Because there's a lot of things out of our, our, not every bad thing that's ever happened to you is your fault. Sometimes someone else drinks too much and gets behind a wheel and slams into a car. Sometimes house fires happen. Sometimes you get laid off because of other people's poor decisions. You know, things happen to us that are outside of our, outside of our control. But how do we respond to those things? Well, Jesus says that we can be of good cheer. That's difficult, right? These things are are easy in concept, but difficult in execution. Because I could sit here and you you just tell me you got laid off from your your job. Well, be of good cheer. Jesus overcame the world. Easy, right? No, it's not easy. But if we can build on a foundation when those things happen, we can approach it differently and it doesn't have to knock us down. Because as long as we're getting knocked down And our focus is off. It's kind of like Peter walking on the water. Just maintain our focus. Maintain those things. And even when you start to sink, Jesus is right there. He's right there. You're never alone in this fight. Now, if you're anything like me, I put a lot of pressure on myself where I have to figure it out. I have to do this. And I'm the reason I'm sinking. So let me fix it. And then I can walk on that water with Jesus again. But when Peter started to sink, Jesus was right there. He reached out his hand and he pulled him back up on the water. And that's why we talk about this all the time. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. It's not up to you to make it happen, to make all these things work out. It's your job to seek first the kingdom. And then all these things will be added unto you. We talk about uh, being immersed in these truths, being immersed in this reality of healing, of, of prosperity, of joy and peace and just happiness, fulfillment in our life. Immerse yourself in that. And when you're that high up, when things try to knock you down, it just bounces off of you. Those fiery darts of the enemy just bounce right off. You're resistant to these things. Doesn't mean, again, that you're not going to have a battle or things to overcome. But when you're so built up in the truth, you will respond to it differently. And you can be of good cheer even when those things happen. Sometimes we're so far down and get beat up by life and circumstances and other people and all the stuff that it's it's, it's impossible to even imagine a situation where if that happened to me, you're telling me I can be of good cheer? You are. We are capable of that. You possess all the fruit of the Spirit, joy and peace, no matter what. And it, then we have the body to help us when we can't, to help us whenever we, we are, we're falling short, and to help us pull ourselves or pull us out whenever we're unable to do it on our own. That's why we have this. This church isn't here So you can come and listen to me. I mean, yeah, we want to get on the same page with all this stuff and really grow in these things. But the the point of this church is in these seats right here. You're the reason for this church to surround ourselves with people and go out of our way to spend time with one another, not distance ourselves because, well, I am the church. I don't need to show up to organize building and all this stuff. It's like, no, this is a community of people that will build us up whenever we're struggling. And if you're killing it, if you're doing good, Good news, it's your opportunity to help someone else here. The thing that I've noticed is, is whenever we're overwhelmed by life, we tend to take away the things that we shouldn't take away. So we're, we're working at jobs we hate to, make, to pay for things we don't need, to impress people we don't like. And then, then we, have, uh, we have the weekend, our precious weekend. <sighs> That was actually a big deal whenever we were starting this church. It's like you, Laura said, you know we're never going to have a free weekend for the rest of our lives, right? I'm like, oof. Anyway, but it was, it, what was I saying? Uh, so we have these precious times because we're so overwhelmed by everything, and, and we don't like our jobs, and then the kids have sports, and we have all this stuff going on, and, and then it's like, I'm not, I don't want to get up early on Sunday. I don't want to get up and surround myself with the, only people i should be surrounding myself with we we cut out the very thing that we need the most and and so this morning i want to talk about this and and what we can do just practical this practical message this morning because sometimes we over spiritualize everything just cast your cares on the lord brother cast your cares on the lord sister and that's good but what does that mean how and that's what we're going to talk about quit over spiritualizing everything because this is a spiritual experience we talked about that a little bit on on wednesday this week how we 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 need to to just bring it down and quit over spiritualizing this make make these words that we're saying real to us yeah you're righteous i'm the righteousness of god in christ and that's good to confess but what does it mean to you or are you just saying some word that's in, you know been preached at you or you've read in the Bible, but it doesn't really mean anything to you? Like we gotta, this is a, a spiritual experience. Anytime that we're, let me put it this way. When my kids are playing with each other and getting along in their bedroom, just playing with the toys that I provided for them and all that, I, I can walk by or stand outside the room and hear them laughing and playing and enjoying this, this stuff, this life, And it blesses me as their father. I don't need them sitting in their room saying, you know, Dad is so good. Dad, you're so good. You're so good to me. I I praise you, Dad. I don't need that. It blesses me as their father to enjoy the life that I've provided for them. So sometimes we can get together as a body, just go hang out, grab a cup of coffee, grab a meal, just hang out, play some spike ball. That's the loudest Thomas has ever been in this room. Anyway, uh, and we don't have to sit here and, and have a Bible study and, and dive deeper into Scripture. That's all good stuff. But sometimes we got to quit over-spiritualizing everything and just know that this life is a gift from God, and I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to enjoy every minute of it. And any time that something is robbing me of that, it's robbing me of something great. It's robbing me of a gift. I'm not gonna allow that to happen in my life as much as I can. Now to say I'm gonna be 100%, I can't tell you I'll be 100%, but I'm better off today than I was 10 years ago, five years ago, one year ago. Even with sickness, if you battle sickness, if something hits you, well, does that mean it's not true? No, and I'd hate to see where I'd be if I didn't believe in healing. So yes, I battle things sometimes, but man, I used to battle things a lot more than I do now. So I haven't arrived, but I've left. We, so, we get so focused on the problem that we're, we're, we're ignoring this truth, this gift that God's given us. Last week, we talked about rest. Jesus said, come to me and I will give you rest. And again, rest doesn't mean inactivity or passivity. Rest is a new mindset. He says that, this is the amplified version. Come to me, all who, uh, all you who labor are... I can't read today. All you who labor and are heavy laden and overburdened, and I will cause you to rest. I will ease and relieve and refresh your souls. So rest isn't about rest like we think. I'm going to go take a nap and that sort of thing. This is rest for your soul, not for your body. Whenever you have a new mindset, when you're at rest and you've sought first, sought first the kingdom, it changes how you approach life. And your soul is at rest. So you're actually able to do, what, uh, do more at a state of rest than you ever were whenever you had all this on your own shoulders and you were carrying all the weight. But Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I'm gentle, meek, and humble, lowly in heart, and you will find rest, relief, and ease, and refreshment, and recreation and blessed quiet for your souls for my yoke is wholesome useful good not harsh hard sharp or pressing but comfortable gracious and pleasant and my burden is light and easy to be born we can hear this message about rest and how it's not about inactivity but it's about a new mindset and approaching the things in life in a different way and that means then then we start to justify our life and say I want to keep everything that I have but now I'm, I'm going to enter into his rest so I can approach the things that I've already had but really some of the things that we have are the very things that are causing our souls to be all messed up so this is, ex- this is not an excuse for us to live the life that we've always lived, but now with a new mindset. This new mindset should change how we live. This has nothing to do with sin or the bad things, but, but how we deal with stuff in our society is all jacked up, It's just messed up. And it depends on personalities because some of us handle stress differently. And so we're doing certain things to handle this stress and anxiety that's going on in our life, but then the things that we're trying to, or that we're doing in order to help the stress is actually contributing to the stress, and it's just this vicious cycle, this vicious cycle. So in order for me to, to feel better, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get home from work every night, and I'm, I got to drink a six-pack or a 12-pack. But that's messing up this this rest. It's, it's it's causing me actually. It's counterproductive. The same thing. If it's my mom was her love language was um, gifts. That's how she showed gifts. She didn't have any money. She always buys stuff, and and she she would want to buy our kids stuff. At that time, it was just Grace and West when she was still alive, and 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 it was that was the way she wanted to show love. So she'd buy. She'd spend money she didn't have on stupid little toys for our kids and it's all the kids wanted was time i've yet to meet a child who's at that point in their life is their love language isn't just quality time you don't have to buy them a bunch of stuff. You just got to spend time with them. And that's how they feel that love. But she, she would spend money she didn't have all the time. And it, some of it was big stuff. Some of it was little stuff. She was really into gardening and that sort of thing. So every weekend she would go and buy a bunch of junk at Home Depot, pots and flowers and all this. She had an amazing yard and a credit card debt to back it up. And so she's stressed out because she didn't have any money, but then she puts all this stuff on credit cards to ease her soul. And it was just this vicious cycle. She had a new car every two years. I'm not making eye contact with any of you, but some of us, we just buy and buy. We're consumers and we just want to buy and we're trying to bury our problems rather than get to the root cause of it. We eat too much. We eat too much to, to make us feel better. But then the stuff we eat is making us feel worse. And then we're stressed out even more. And it's just this vicious cycle on and on and on. And then our bodies are screaming at us saying, stop. Rest. Rest. But we live in a society where it's like, I don't want to rest. I want to get it done. I want to, I'm going to go out there. I'm going to take on the world. And if we just stop burying our problems with stuff or our abusive, self-inflicted problems, maybe we'd find the answers we're looking for or realize that the things that we've been seeking all this time, we don't even want them anymore. That was a thing that I, I really came to grips with, even with this church for a long time. Up until about a year ago, I was like, I want a big old church, 1,000-member church. And I'm always like, we're going to grow. And my, my, my focus was always on what can we do to grow the church and all that. And, of course, we want to grow. We want to reach people. We want to have the resources to get stuff done and, and all that stuff. But one day I was in here, and I just felt like the Lord said, why? Why do you want a 1,000-member church? This isn't, this isn't to, because, I mean, I had to really ask myself, am I making this up in my head because we haven't seen the growth and all that, and now I'm settling, and I'm dropping my standard because of what we see out here, but I really felt like the Lord was saying, why, what do you, what do you love about church, and he brought to my remembrance a time where, when I first started this church, my pastor said, when you're, when you're starting a church, create a, an environment that you would go to even if you weren't the pastor. And that sounds crazy, but he said that, that you'd be surprised how many pastors create something that they think people want, but they wouldn't even go to that church if they weren't the pastor of it. And so I've, I've never been a, a, a it's nothing against them, but I've never been a fan of the big mega churches. And what we have here, I think gets lost when you got this big old thing. You know, and so my point is, I rested and I spent time with Lord, the Lord, and I had to do some, some self reflecting. Say, why do I want this? Why do I think I want this? And then I realized the thing that I thought I wanted, I don't even want it. I just thought, well, that's what you do. And you, you, you make excuses, healthy things grow, and all this stuff. And, and it's like, no, Jesus changed the world with 12. Do I need a thousand? I mean, if we get to 1,000, that's great, but that's not my goal. My goal is right here. My focus is right here. If my focus is on big, beautiful, crazy, shiny objects, I lose sight of what's really important, the reason we started this. So, and that's the same with any aspect of our life. We have it in our mind. we got to keep up with the, the Joneses, and uh, we <laughs> we got to... Uh, uh, we want to compare our car to theirs and our house to theirs and all this. And it's like, why? Then You have bigger payments, more stuff. And you got to fill it. No, I mean, it just goes on and on and on. And you have to get to a point where you admit to yourself that something needs to change. The things that I've been doing to cope with the life that I have are actually causing me to dig myself deeper. And I'm buried under all this stuff, emotional and physical baggage. It's our society, the American dream. I think we need to wake up from that and realize what's really important. Come to me, Jesus says, and I will give you rest. And then whatever comes from that, great. And that might be all the fancy stuff for you. Maybe it's not. That's why when I talk about kingdom, I can't tell you what kingdom on earth as it is in heaven looks like for you because mine looks different. My heaven looks different than yours. And that's okay. So I can't get up here and say, oh, we're all, God wants us all to be millionaires and and all this stuff. God wants you to live in a big house and drive this big fancy car. I can't tell you that. It looks different for you because my heaven has a tiny house on a lake. That speaks to some of you, and it doesn't to others. Just like your heaven doesn't really resonate with me. So it's okay. My job isn't up here to tell you exactly how to live your life. My job is to point you to Jesus, and he will give you rest. And then you take that, build on that relationship, build on that foundation, and figure it out. And then when you miss it, because you will, reassess, readjust, Draw near to him. It's very simple, but difficult in execution. And some of us have been burying ourselves so long that there's so much debt and so much stuff and so much clutter, physical and emotional clutter in our lives, that it's like, I don't even know where to start. I remember hearing a a guy talk about that. He was talking about investing in real estate and all this. And he's like, Yeah, you just go out there and, and do all this stuff. And I'm like, Bro, I'm so buried in debt. I I can't even begin to, like, I'm not even at level ground yet. Talk to me when when I'm uh, at least where I can see some light under this hole I've put myself in. Then I did exactly what I'm telling you. I drew near to the Lord, and he helped us. I didn't have to dig myself out of the pit. Jesus helped me out. And then we can, now we're financially, we haven't arrived, but we've left, you know? So we're, we're better off now than we've ever been before. But I had to get to a point where I had to be brutally honest with myself. We need to be brutally honest with ourselves and say, the life that I've created isn't even the life that I want. And as long as we're lying to ourselves, we're never going to experience kingdom. And it doesn't happen overnight, but it'll happen fast if you start involving the Lord in it. We try, another way we try to regain control is something uh, they call, psychologists call it, revenge, bedtime procrastination. Have you heard about it? I think I've mentioned it here before, but this speaks to me. All right? Re- revenge, bedtime procrastination is when you sacrifice sleep to engage in activities that uh, you don't have time for during the day. Unnecessary things. So you might watch Netflix. Just a couple episodes that are an hour each. There's two hours right there. Uh, you get on your phone and watch the TikTok or the whatever y'all. I mean, I I do YouTube mostly. I'm watching how to do stupid stuff. But anyway, the, the, and we're just on our phones. And, or, and, and then we're sacrificing sleep in an attempt to regain control. But control's never gained. And now you've sacrificed sleep, which causes another a number of other problems throws your circadian rhythm off. And, and it's just this, I'm going to go through a few of these things, but it's just to show you how one decision, one lack of decision, one, by not being intentional with this life that we've been created to live, it throws everything off and it's, we just have to get to a point where we disrupt that pattern. But whenever we're, sac- now we're sacrificing sleep because we're stressed out because of all day, we don't feel like we have any control in our jobs because we're working at jobs and we don't like the boss we don't like the people we're working with. Then we come home and we got to cook dinner and wash, clothes and clean the house and then we finally lay down and now I just want to I just want to veg out for a minute and think about nothing and I start scrolling or I start watching and now I'm sacrificing sleep and whenever your circadian rhythm which is your body's natural way of keeping its 24-hour clock when that gets thrown off it causes all these other uh, uh, problems changes in your sleep cycle lead to cognitive and behavioral issues like diminished focus vigilance attention motor skills and memory and then you look for comfort through spending eating outbursts of wrath (laughs) you just blow up on people because you're exhausted and on and on we go that's why our i mean many of us are are overweight even that's why many of us have the health issues we have because we're just a mess And this is this country. I love this country. It's an amazing country. And we're blessed. And we have everything we ever want. Almost to our detriment. Everything's at our fingertips. The answer is simple, but can be difficult again. First, you have to acknowledge that there's a problem. You got to say, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. You have to get to a place where you're like, disgusted with where you are. Like, where I can't keep doing this. I can't keep doing this. I say sick and tired of being sick and tired, but I'm disgusted that I can't go out and do the things with my family that I want to do because I can't afford to do it. I can't get the guac at Chipotle. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) Y'all are amen in some weird stuff today. Um, We're going to get more charismatic around here, though. It's all right. Uh, I just, we just get so, fr- I can't go on the trip that I want to go on. I can't do these things. And it's like, when, when is enough enough? Because every decision that I've ever made has gotten me to this point where I am right now. And if I'm not happy with the point that I am right now, where I am right now, it means I have the power to make better choices in the future and do things differently. You got to take our thoughts captive because as he thinks in his heart, so is he. How you move through life is determined by your belief system. Y'all okay? This is in love this morning. I promise you. If you're taking this as a condemning word, it's your own dadgum heart. (laughs) All right. 2 Corinthians 10. This is a popular verse, but we're going to go there. All right. 10, verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. You don't have to go there, Cody, but I love the New Living Translation. It says, though we're human, we don't wage war as humans do. So we're doing things and we're responding to things like everybody else does, but we're not like everyone else. You're not like everyone else. You are a child of God, or I shouldn't say you're not like everyone else. You know that you're not like everyone else. You are loved unconditionally by the Father. You have this power of God that raised Christ from the dead on the inside of you and you know it. So why in the world are we waging war as just every other human does? They don't know who they are. We do. There's no excuse. Verse 4, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. I've talked about this before, but I'll touch on it now. Strongholds we always think is a negative thing. But strongholds aren't necessarily negative. Strongholds, even in the Old Testament, uh, David would go seek refuge in his stronghold. It meant his castle that sort of thing. So it's not, strongholds aren't necessarily something that's got a strong hold on us. A stronghold is just something that we have a stronghold of, and it could be a positive thing. So what are you going to choose to hold on strong to? That relationship with Jesus or everything else that's burying us? We don't even realize it because that's just how society is. For pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. That's that relationship. Knowledge isn't just this intellectual understanding of who God is, but it's an intimate relationship. We can know that God exists. We can know that he wants us well. We can know that, that he, uh, Jesus came and died and, and three days later rose again. We can all know that. We can know a lot of Bible trivia. But do we have an intimate relationship with the, the creator of the universe? You can read a biography of somebody and know about them. But to, be, to, to have that, that child and parent relationship, that's a whole different level. That's what it's talking about here. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled bringing every thought into captivity now you get to a point at first this is hard because you've been going down the same path you have these neural pathways the circuitry in your mind this i mean this physical change that has or this physical the physical aspects of your mind has has formed a certain way and you've been feeding that neural pathway your whole life and then you have to say enough is enough i'm tired of it i'm not living this way anymore and you have to build a new one And it just doesn't, this one that you've spent your whole time, your whole life, or many years building, doesn't just disintegrate like that. It's a process where you feed this one, and this one gets stronger. But we don't, it's not about saying no to this, it's about saying yes to something new. Confession we talk about confessing our sins all the time. We don't, but people talk about confessing their sin. Whenever all you're doing is confessing everything you've done wrong that day, you're feeding that same old pathway. Confession, all that means in Greek is to agree with. So what does God say about your life? What does God say about your circumstances? Let's agree with God about what he says about what you're going through and feed that. And before that too long, that is stronger than this ever was. And because you've been starving this route for so long, then it starts to lose power. Then it starts to, to disintegrate, but it's a process. So it starts with that, uh, that intellectual understanding that turns into a relationship that turns into moving through life differently. It's all, it all works together. But we have to, this process of bringing every thought into captivity, it seems difficult at first, but before too long, that switch is made, and now you can't even believe you ever used to think the way that you used to think. Has anyone ever experienced that before? I go through some of my notes when I was in Bible college even, and I'm like, I wrote that? It's craziness. I can't believe I wrote it. And then I'll go back and listen to even messages that I preached when we first started this church, and I'm like, man, oh man, I'm glad y'all are still here, the ones that were here. It's crazy, but we change. And I can't even believe my thought process was that way at one point in my life. But if something physically happens to your body, something physically happens to your brain whenever you decide to stop feeding the old way, stop feeding the things that have gotten you to where you are today. Bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Obedience used to be like, whenever I got a hold of grace this gospel of grace and it's already everything I'll need for life and godliness is already mine. Why? Because God, for God so loved the world and he looked at me and said he was worth it. And now he's given me everything I need for, for complete success and victory in this life. So now this word obedience keeps coming up and that's like a cuss word. You're telling me to obey? That's, that's law. That's legalistic. But new covenant obedience is a fruit it's a result of a relationship. In fact, the word in Greek, I will attempt it, hupakoual. That's probably right. Let's be honest. Hupakoual, that sounds, <laughs> doesn't sound Greek. I don't know what it sounds like. But anyway, it's a, it's a compound word and it means to be under someone's authority and to listen to what they're saying. It's exactly what we're talking about here. You're under the authority of God and you're in that relationship. And what is he saying to you what's he saying about you what are his thoughts toward you and before you know it you're just resting in that relationship and you you'll start to obey not obey the law not obey a list of commands but when when like I mentioned the hackers earlier when God says I want you to move down to Texas from Kansas City and help these jokers (laughs) start a church you'll do it when we lived in Colorado and, and the Lord said, move to Houston, the Houston area, you do it. Because we know, we don't have all the answers. When we moved down here, we didn't know how we were going to make money or what anything was going to look like, but we, all we had was a word. And because we had built a relationship and we had rested, we were under the authority of the Father and we listened to what he was saying when he said something, we, when he told us to move, we moved. We moved. And everything started to fall into place after that. Has it been perfect? No. Because we're, we make dumb, dumb choices sometimes. But I know that that if if we could just maintain that, even when you fall, even when you mess up, even when you make dumb choices, His grace is still sufficient in that. Where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. When you miss it completely, self-inflicted, intentional. Whatever people want to call it, whenever you do that, there's still grace for you. It never runs out. The only time it feels like it runs out is when you leave that shadow, when you get out from that shadow of the Almighty and you say, I'm going to do it on my own. I'm going to figure it out for myself. But if you say, man, I I took a step out of that shadow, messed up. Now I just, and he helps redirect the ship. I mean, it's not, this isn't complicated, but when you've just royally messed up, it's not that easy to get back under that shadow, is it? We have to get to a point where that's our number one priority. Seek first the kingdom of God. Labor into his rest. Be diligent to enter into his rest. Things will work out. And when they don't, for whatever reason, you will approach it in a whole new way. But obedience Listen to what he's saying. It starts with his love for you. And then you see how God can love you in the middle of your flaws. Actually, it's uh, 1 John four, nineteen. The original, and a lot, if you look this up in your Bible, him is in italics, meaning it wasn't originally there. So what this verse really says is we love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. Not because we loved him and we did everything right. And then he loved us because we acted a certain way or or believed a certain way. No, we love because he first loved us. And yes, we, we love him. But whenever we see that he loves us, we start to love ourselves. We start to see ourselves differently. And when we can see that God loves us in the middle of the the mess because you know more than anybody else on the planet all the mistakes that you made, you know all the thoughts, the wicked, wicked thoughts that you've ever had, and God still loved you even when you were thinking those thoughts, even when you were doing those things. When you were at the worst moment in your life, God still looked at you and said, I love this person. This person is my child. When you understand that, it changes how you see yourself, but then it changes how you see others. And you just start to love people. You want to know where you're at with this? How do you feel about other people? That's your gauge of where you are in this relationship here. These relationships. So if you're a big old jerk, it says that. I mean, I could go through all of 1 John 4 and say all that. You know, if you say you love God, but you don't love people, you're a liar. You don't even get it. So if you're, you're annoyed by everyone, trust me, I get there. I get there, and, but then I know I've stepped out, come back in, and then suddenly the, the, all the little silly things that people do don't affect me the way that they used to, and then us in the church, this is kind of a side note, and then I'll try to wrap this up somehow, but the, we think it's our job to get everybody saved. It's our job to, to convince them of something. Listen to me. That is not your job, it doesn't say anywhere in scripture that it's your job to get anybody saved. It says uh, your job is to love one another as he's loved you. It's to understand his love for you that causes you to love one another. That's it. But in the church, what we do is we look at that at the world as a, a, a project and we have to complete the project. And re- so then rather than having a relationship with people outside of this building, we're, we're out there with an agenda, God doesn't want love with an agenda. He just wants love. And it benefits them, but it benefits you. Again, because there's this cycle that goes on. Because when you let their actions affect you, it changes everything. It changes how you live your life. And then you're not able to take your thoughts captive because your entire thought life is is wrapped up in how that person did you wrong. We got to just realize, we got to make the main thing the main thing. A relationship with God the Father, and nothing you can do or have ever done can ever separate you from that love. I mean, that's it. And if we could really keep that at the forefront of our mind, then we'll quit allowing whatever's going on up here to steal, kill, and destroy from every thing that God has for us, the abundant life that God has for us. So if you're not happy with where your life is, and I know that every single person in this room has an area of their life that they're not happy with, this is the answer. So some of you financially, if I talk about finances, well, you're killing it, so that doesn't matter, or healing, or whatever, but there's an area of your life that I know that God, you know, I know that you know that God wants you to experience more. Experience kingdom, heaven on earth. So I might talk about one little area of life, but man, this applies all to every area of life. Make a priority for this relationship. Show up when you don't feel like showing up. This is not your relationship with God, but this helps us. This is the last thing we should cut out. I know y'all are here, so I'm not, you know that, but it's like, man, we'll, we'll use the rain as an excuse not to show up, or we'll, we'll say, you know, I've been, I'm busy. I want to sleep in one day. If you, if you sacrifice one morning of your week, you'll be able to handle the rest of your week with rest, and you almost have to experience it to get it, so I can say, it sounds like I'm just some, some pastor that's trying to grow his church. I'm saying, no, folks. Hey. You're drowning and you don't even know you're drowning and you're trying to, to, to cover up all your pain with all this stuff. Just show up. We don't want anything from you, you know? Y'all know, I'm just venting, 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 venting. But it's like, we've missed the point of church. We've missed the point of a relationship with God. And if we truly got it, it would change everything. I mean, let's just end it there. It's <laughs> that's, that's real smooth, right? And scene.